Welcome to Access U Time, Tom Williams. We're going to revisit my conversation from this summer with a longtime political journalist, Rod Decker. I'll, uh, I think, remember his, uh, his image, his voice, longtime political reporter. He's out with a book on Utah politics. And we're going to revisit my conversation on the occasion of his coming to Utah State University next week. I want to give you details about that in case you'd like to come and uh, interact with Rod Decker. Uh, he's going to be on the USU campus next Thursday, November 7th, 7 p.m., room 101 of the library on campus. That is next Thursday, it's Thursday, November 7th, 7 p.m., room 101. The event is free and open to the public. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest today is longtime television uh, political reporter Rod Decker. He's out with a new book. It's called Utah Politics, The Elephant in the Room. From the tempestuous fight for statehood to the evolution of Utah voters from Democrats to Republicans, Rod Decker analyzes the intersection of politics and faith in the complex political culture of modern Utah. Beginning with the state's roots as a communal theocracy, Utah politics deftly examines how Mormon morality influenced and continues to shape uh, conflicts on both sides uh, of both local and federal levels. Some themes reoccur. Governors become popular by fighting federal oversight, signaling a lingering distrust that Washington could alter the Mormon way of life. And liberals use the court system to circumvent conservative legislatures who see public morality as a defining feature of uh, government. The book is Utah Politics, The Elephant in the Room. And uh, Rod Decker joins us. Uh, thanks for joining us for the program. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I wonder if you'd be okay if we uh, talked a little bit about your background, just for a couple of minutes before we dive into the book. That's fine, yeah. Um, I was reading a very uh, interesting article in the City Weekly, the title I love, In Rod We Trust, was the title of that article. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, was a, that, that was a very nice article, and I'm, I'm grateful <laughs> to, to City Weekly and the writer. Uh uh, I'm, a, I'm a TV news reporter. I was a TV news reporter for almost four year, 40 years, and before that I was a, a, a newspaper columnist and editorial writer uh, in, in Salt Lake City. And something I didn't know, you, uh, you were in Vietnam. I, I served uh, 18 months in Vietnam from 1968 to 1970. Uh, so that was that must have been quite the experience. Uh, you you did briefings, um, including. Well, for... I, I was I was an intelligence officer, and I briefed the the generals and the the then when the head of the CIA and people like that. Now you're beginning to understand why we lost that war. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get into? You got at first. You got into print journalism. Uh, how did yeah. you, you make the transition to television? Well, I, I worked at the Deseret News, and and we went through. I'd been there eight years, and, and but we were going through a rough patch. The bosses and I weren't getting along, and and while I was at the Deseret News, I uh, uh, they sponsored a TV show called Civic Dialogue on uh, Channel Seven Public TV. And they wanted one of their people to be host, and nobody wanted to do it but me. So they let me. 
And so uh, I was host of that program, and George Hatch at Channel 2 said, uh, come work for me, and I did. Uh, now, of course, you're a political reporter, long, many years. We, we've appreciated your reports over the years. Uh, do, you, do you think things have changed? seems like things have changed in uh, journalism in general and uh, maybe in television news as well. Uh, journalism, journalism has changed uh, amazingly. When I began, journalism was riding high. Uh, it was after Watergate when reporters had brought down a president and journal, uh, journalism flourished. Unforeseen, the, the technological change, journalism from its inception, from the beginning, has been dependent on technology. Um, and, and technology changed, particularly the Internet, and that, that is killing newspapers. Uh, we won't have newspapers. I'd, surely some of them will last my lifetime, but most of them won't. Uh, and uh, uh, TV news is very much affected. When I began in TV news, they used to say a local TV state uh, license is a license to print money. Uh, we had here, we had here in Utah, we had three commercial channels and two uh, public channels. Now we've got all sorts of cable and stations, and the audience is divided. So TV. Is is much more pressed to, to hustle, and that and news has to hustle. There's less less money and more hustle, less money and more get it done in uh, in in the TV news business than there was when I started. Is does there continue to be support for uh, political reporting? Seems like, and you mentioned this article: uh, if it bleeds, it leads. That's what uh, that's what sells. The, it seems like the, there is not as. Uh, I, I went to work for George Hatch, and he he was a rich man who was in journalism because he believed in it and believed it was important to the community, and he strongly supported political journalism. Now there's much less support for it. Uh, it it's a, a question of audience interest. What attracts audience? Uh, and the people, the, the, the bosses, believe that that uh, political journalism doesn't attract audience as much as as uh, breaking news, crime, things like that. So that's where the emphasis is, has moved. Though, to, to the end of my career, I was able to do some political journalism, and I appreciated it. And you retired just fairly recently, right? Uh, it'll be two years in September. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well into your 70s, I think, uh... Uh, excuse me? Into your 70s you worked. Uh, worked a long time. Worked, yeah. uh, what, I, well, I had a career of 45 years, I guess, yeah. all, all put together. Yeah. I, I need to, I, I'm, I'm sure my audience will want me to ask you, they treated this in this article, you have distinctive style. Uh, did you consciously set out to, to do that? No. No, it just happens. I I I, I can't do otherwise. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, let's. Uh, I want to jump into the book. Very interesting book. What was your uh, purpose in in writing this? Utah politics: the elephant in the room. Well, I thought I knew something about Utah politics, and I thought, what what am I going to do? Uh, it was many years ago. I started writing it while I was still working, and uh, I thought I'll write a book about Utah politics. So uh, so I did. Now, the elephant in the room, uh, that's 
the Republican Party, I suppose that's one of the meetings, right? That's the that's the yeah the, the you, excuse me. Utah is one of the most Republican states. Uh, uh, of, of of the past eleven presidential elections, Utah's voted the most Republican seven times. Um, our, our senators are are a Republican. We have one Democratic representative. We didn't have one for a number of years. For a number of years, it was all Republican. The legislature's Republican. The governor's been uh, Republican uh, since uh, 1985. Uh, we're, we're a strongly Republican state, and we're Republican for one reason. Latter-day Saints vote Republican. Hmm. I want to get into that. You, you uh, That's a major theme in the book, and, and this will answer a question that I get a lot. <clears throat> People move in, or, or they, they wonder about this, and I tell them it didn't used to be this way. Used, we used to elect Democratic governors and, and such, and you talk about why and how this changed. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. It's true that it didn't used to be this way. From statehood in 1896, to the 1972 election were uh, 20 presidential elections. Utah voted for the winner in 17 of them. Only three states voted for the winner more often than Utah. Uh, Utah was ordinary. We swung with the nation. You, uh, uh, the, we had strong two-party competition. We were a, a mainstream political state. 1976, we abandoned our our proclivity to vote for winners, and we voted most strongly of any state for the loser, Republican Gerald Ford. 1976 was the presidential election after Roe v. Wade. The reason um, Latter-day Saints vote Republican, um, they, they vote generally that way, but especially in Utah, is uh, the, the resistance to the American sexual revolution. Starting at about 1960, people married less. They had more sex outside of marriage. They had more children outside of marriage. They had uh, uh, fewer children. Um, they they cohabited more. Uh, the Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints opposed that move um, unsuc- uh, unsuccessfully in terms of America, but fairly successfully in terms of its own members. And uh, then courts ruled for the sexual revolution in Roe v. Wade over pornography, over birth control for teens and other issues. Gay marriage has been the latest. Um, and uh, Latter-day Saints became strongly Republican. And in fact, uh, Utah is the most, I guess, polarized religiously and, and politically in, in the nation? It's the most religious. It's the it's the it's the state where the voters are most religiously polarized of any state in America. The uh, Latter Day Saints vote uh, Republican. Uh, everybody else, uh, a majority of everybody else, votes Democratic. For example, Utah Catholics are about ten percent more likely to vote Democratic than uh, American Catholics. Utah people of no religion are, are, are it's the same. Uh, if, if, if Mormons, if, if Latter-day Saints couldn't vote, there were no, no, no Latter-day Saint votes, uh, Utah, uh, Obama would have beaten Romney in Utah. Utah would have been 
the strongest Democratic state for Al Gore. Utah would have been the fifth strongest state for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's uh, it, it, it is very, very divided uh, in that way. Uh, and I think people are surprised when I tell them, you know, Salt Lake City, very liberal. Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City is to Utah rather as Utah is to America. It's a, so Salt Lake City is a, a democratic island. And as America becomes more politically polarized, so does Utah. Salt Lake City is becoming um, uh, rapidly more politically polarized from Utah. The, the two have gotten along, though Utah was Republican and Salt Lake City Democratic, but that's ending now over the inland port and other issues. Uh, they are... They're angry at each other, the, the, the legislature and the, the government of Salt Lake City, and it's, uh, the, the, they may stay angry at each other. And there are people in Salt Lake City who are very angry, who demonstrate violently against uh, the doings of the legislature. Um, you say Mormons uh, weren't always conservative. It's, it's, you have to go back a ways. Weren't always well, conservative. Well, Go ahead. Uh, uh, so, so uh, why don't you talk about that period? Uh, where it's, where Utah just swung with the nation, uh, essentially. Well, okay. In in the general rule is this: uh, I said when I said more uh, Latter Day Saints are resisting the American sexual revolution, resisting social change. That's why they're uh, Republicans now. The general rule is. When Latter-day Saints and Americans agree on family, sex, and morals, then Utah is like the nation politically, as it was for 80 years, from statehood to, to, until 1976. When they disagree, uh, then Utah becomes different politically. In Utah territory, Latter-day Saints were polygamous. Uh, they were thrown in prison. The, the Congress took away the vote of every woman in Utah. The, they seized church property, uh, and they denied them statehood until they changed and gave up uh, Latter-day Saint control, theocracy, and gave up polygamy. After they gave up polygamy, uh, Americans and Latter-day Saints agreed on a, a kind of um, neo-Victorian morality, that the, the, the sex should happen only between a married man and a woman, is, is what they believed. And they, they did, of course, there was a lot of sex not between a married man and a woman, but the idea was to support the traditional family of a married man and woman and their children. The reason they wanted to do that was to harness sex to raising kids. You have a kid, you got someone to take care of the kid, and and they they did that until uh, after World War II. Then things changed very fast. Uh, one sociologist said the biggest found the biggest change in the American and in the Western it happened in Europe too, and then Australia, New Zealand. The, the biggest change in the Western family in recorded history. So. When they, when they agree on, on sex and families, they agree on politics. When they disagree on sex and family, they disagree on politics. Nowadays, Latter-day Saints and Americans disagree 
Uh, Latter-day Saints are for traditional families and traditional family morality, and America's undergone a sexual revolution, and things have changed. Let's take a break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about um, President Trump. Uh, this is okay, sort of sort good. of an out, outlier. Um, so let's um, Utah. The, the Mormons uh, didn't go for for Trump uh, as Republican as some other states, which was as kind of unusual. As, yeah, yeah, as much as they usually do. Yeah, that's true. So uh, we'll take a break. Uh, mention that my guest is longtime uh, 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 political reporter Rod Decker. Um, he is Thank out with you. a new a new book, Utah Politics: The Elephant in the Room. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're revisiting my conversation with a longtime political journalist, uh, Rod Decker. Uh, this uh, was uh, first broadcast in August of this year. I um, wanted to revisit this conversation because it's uh, interesting. I hope you're enjoying it. Also because Rod Decker will be coming to Logan next week. I wanted to give you that information. He'll be speaking on behalf of the Friends of the Library. It's a Friends of the Library lecture. The library in question is USU's Merrill Kazir Library. And uh, this event, Rod Decker will speak about the evolution of Utah politics regarding religion, sex, and family. That's on Thursday, November 7th, 7 p.m., Library Room 101 on the USU campus. November 7th, 7 p.m., Library Room 101 on the USU campus. That event is free and open to the public. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are talking with Rod Decker, longtime political reporter. He's out with a new book, Utah Politics, the Elephant in the Room. Uh, Rod Decker, we do have an email from uh, Steve. Um, Steve says, Harrison Ford's character in Apocalypse Now was based on your guest role in Vietnam. Not necessarily your guest per se, but his role in the conflict. Uh, that's an interesting uh, fact. <laughs> Any comment on that? I, I... I, I, I didn't see Apocalypse Now. I can't watch Vietnamese bo- uh, movies about the war. But uh, uh, I doubt that uh, what I did had much to do with what Harrison Ford did. He may have been an <laughs> intelligence officer, but I bet he ran around and was heroic. Yeah. <laughs> I worked in an office, and uh, the, 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 the only action I saw was in the bars. That was in the bars. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned you, you, can't, you can't see movies about Vietnam? Uh, I don't. I don't. Yeah, that's right. You, you, I, you don't, I, don't want to. I get yeah, cats mm-hmm. too strong. Yeah. Uh, they don't have them anymore. Uh-huh. But I, I went to one or two and had a hard time with them. Didn't like them, so I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, uh, I, I didn't go. I uh, and uh, um, I never saw Apocalypse Now. Well, maybe yeah. I could get through it now. Uh, maybe so. It's essentially a, a, a retelling of Heart of, of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Oh, yeah, Conrad's yeah. Heart yeah. of Darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, just, uh, I read about it. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could just read Heart of Darkness. But uh, um, so <laughs> the action you saw was in the bars. That's that's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we we were going to talk about um, uh, Trump versus Clinton, and uh, something unusual happened in 2016. Utah has been the most Republican leaning uh, state for several elections. Was not the case in 2016. That's true. In in 2016, Utah was the Repu- the, the least Republican Republican state. Forty six percent of Utahns voted for Trump, and that was barely enough to carry the state. There were 29 states that went for Trump, and Utah was 29th. Now, if it had been first, 
seven out of the last ten and near the top uh, in, in the other three. So it, it Trump did it barely carried Utah. Now he offended Latter Day Saints. He he lost the lost badly here in the uh, Republican caucuses. Then in the in the final election, when the when the stuff came out that interview where he talked about grabbing women and things like that. After that, the uh, church-owned Deseret News editorialized, said he should resign his candidacy. He wasn't fit to be president. In the in the previous ten presidential elections, that's all we've. Uh, uh, Latter Day Saints voted seventy-six percent for the Republican candidate. For Trump, they voted forty-six percent, uh, but they didn't give their votes to Clinton. They gave him to Evan McMullen, who was a, a BYU graduate, a, a Latter-day Saint, a former CIA agent who'd never run for political office before. Um, he got 5% of the non-Mormon vote. He got a few votes in Idaho, and he got almost no votes anywhere else. So Latter-day Saints were upset with Trump. They, they cut way back on their vote for him. But they they still barely uh, slipped by so that he carried Utah. I don't know if you're seeing polls. I'm curious. Um, you may not know the answer whether Latter-day Saints in general have made their peace with Trump, whether that percentage might be higher in 2020. Polls seem to indicate that Utahns, and that probably means Latter-day Saints, I haven't I haven't seen the breakdown of the polls. The Utahns generally are reconciling to Trump. Still, there was a recent poll, 52% think one term's enough. If I were predicting, and I, I when I predict I'm right just often enough to be unreliable, if I were wrong much more, I'd be useful because you, you could uh, listen to me and know that that's not what was going to happen. But I'm occasionally right. And I would think Trump will carry Utah again, but uh, just about the way he carried it last time, uh, without the big majorities that uh, Republicans usually win in Utah. Mm. So this accommodation to Trump um, brings me to uh, this sort of uneasy alliance, political alliance between Latter-day Saints and uh, conservative evangelicals. Who who seem to make their peace maybe quicker with with uh, with Trump, um, you know, common cause, uh, conservative uh, values, uh, I guess, brings those two groups together politically. Well, and Roe v. Wade, nineteen seventy three, political scientists have looked at it, and they say it led to a political realignment in America. Conservative religious people became Republican, and that included notably evangelicals. Latter-day Saints, Pentecostals, some conservative Catholics, though Catholics are still uh, ten democratic, um, and and they became uh, uh, Republican. Evangelicals, uh, if you want to know what happened in Utah, Evangelicals and Latter-day Saints, all of these people together, were about 25 percent of the American electorate. But Latter-day Saints are two-thirds of the Utah electorate. They aren't two-thirds of the population, but they turn out to vote more faithfully than other people. So they're about two-thirds of the electorate. So they 
uh, it, what was a, a, a big realignment in America was a tsunami in Utah, and it's still going on. It, it, uh, social issues swung Latter-day Saints Republican and, uh, and swung evangelicals, too, and Republicans have, have uh, benefited. They've gotten those, those votes. Though it's it's uh, it's still just neck and neck between the parties, but they've gotten those votes ever since. Is would you agree with statement that abortion seems to be the the top issue? You said Roe v. Wade was a was a bellwether. Um, okay, the fundamental issue is the sexual revolution. The fundamental issue is that. Americans, you, you, the, the morality of Americans used to be a morality that supported traditional families. And there were laws against uh, the fornication and adultery and, and gay sex and uh, bigamy and so forth. Uh, that they weren't very, none of them were very well enforced. But there was public opinion strongly for sex should be limited to marriage. In 1969, 75% of Americans who had an opinion believed sex outside marriage was either always wrong or almost always wrong. By the early 1990s, that was one-third of, of, Americans, of Americans believed that. And, and not only did opinion change, conduct changed. A, a woman, an American woman born in 1942, had a 30% chance of having sex outside marriage before she was 21. If she were born in 1955, she had a 72% chance. People, that was what, that, that's what upset Latter-day Saints, and that's what upset uh, evangelicals. People buried less, people had children outside marriage, but... What, what, what made it political was the, the courts, particularly Roe v. Wade, that was the big one, but also pornography. Uh, in Utah, we fought over censoring cable television. We fought years over uh, supplying birth control to teenagers without telling their parents. And, and of course, there was uh, gay marriage. One after another, and every one of them uh, re refreshed the estrangement between uh, Latter-day Saints and the federal government. And this reinforced, I guess, or accelerated um, a trend where Utah politicians could win by fighting the federal government. Utah, yes. Uh, Utah Republicans run against the federal government, and they have for 40 years. Uh, they run against the federal government on, on moral issues, so those aren't big federal issues. Those are fought out of the legislature. In every one of those issues I mentioned, Utah had a big fight. Uh, it reached a decision of Latter-day Saints prevailing, and, and the decision was uh, for the traditional morality against abortion, against pornography, against gay marriage. Uh, and then those, those decisions represented the considered preference of a majority, a Latter-day Saint majority of Utahs, were thrown out by federal judges. Sometimes the federal judges uh, invoked new interpretations of the Constitution to throw out those. Uh, the, the old interpretations would have upheld those laws. Uh, and, and 
So Latter-day Saints became Republican, and they vote Republican through thick or thin. It's it's very difficult for, for a Democrat outside of certain areas, Salt Lake City most notably, to... Uh, uh, to win at all in Utah. If you just joined us, we're talking with a longtime political reporter, Rod Decker. You very likely recognize his voice. Uh, <clears throat> watched him over the 40 years of his career. He's out with a new book, Utah Politics, The Elephant in the Room. And he'll be at the King's English Bookshop tonight, 7 o'clock in Salt Lake City. Uh, so, Rod Decker, I wanted to, um, to, to talk a little bit about, uh, let me just read this sentence from the book. We're talking about the sexual revolution and uh, how uh, Latter-day Saints resisted, and that's how uh, Utah became very Republican. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about demographics and how Utah is different from the rest of the nation uh, because of uh, this resistance, the sexual revolution. And you you devote uh, a bit of uh, space in the book to this. So here's the sentence. Utah is like a control group, preserved in part from American change, as if to show by comparison the effects of those change. I wonder if you can compare and contrast the demographics. Utah is is demographically different because it its families are different. In America, 48% of adults are married. It was 72% back in 1960. It's fallen to 48%. But in Utah, 60% of adults are married. Latter-day Saints, 66%. Of adults, so we have more marriage. We are usually uh, not every year, but most years, we are the state where people marry youngest. Uh, uh, Latter Day Saints marry younger than any other religion. Latter Day Saints marry young in part because uh, many of them don't have sex before marriage. Uh, if you don't have sex until you're married, that'll get you to the altar. So they get they they get to they they marry young. Utahns have more kids, and Latter Day Saints have more kids than others. Uh, the, the, that's been going on for decades. What do you call a man in Orem with four children? You call him impotent. The the, uh, uh, the we have a lot of kids in Utah, especially Latter Day Saints. So our population is younger. We're more married. We have uh, the highest percentage of any state of our kids within marriage. Forty-two percent of American babies are now born outside marriage. In Utah, it's about 19 percent. And we've been the lowest every year since at least 1960. I didn't look before that. But uh, uh, every year we've been lower, and the, the, and the gap between Utah and America has widened. So... Because because of our Latter-day Saint morals and traditional families, uh, uh, Utah is demographically different from America. In an interview with KUTV, uh, t- talking about your book, uh, quoting you, I respected them, talking about Latter-day Saints going in, not nearly so much as I respect them coming out. Um, is this what you've been talking about? Is that part of that? Yeah. The ma- Okay, the... the Differences in demographics and differences in families lead to differences in Utah society. Uh, for example, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Uh, a bad one. Uh, Utah, Utah has uh, uh, nearly the biggest wage gap of any state between men and women. 
And part of the reason is uh, Utah women uh, go to college less, uh, uh, and part of the reason for that is they marry young. Part of the reason they have lower wages is because they have more children. A study showed, uh, it called, the, called it the mother penalty. Every child reduces a woman's wages by about 7%. doesn't affect a, man, uh, a man's wages. So part of it, one effect of, of the of Utah difference is lower women wages for women. Another effect of Utah difference, which is a good effect, is we have a lot less child poverty. Children who are born out of marriage are five times more likely to be poor than a child born to two married parents. Utah's the state where most children, but more than any other state, where children are born to married parents, live with married parents. Utah has 40% less child poverty than America. Child poverty is a big deal. It affects brain development. Poor kids get in trouble with the cops. They do worse in school, more likely to be abused, have worse health. Things, things are hard for them. Utah has a lot less child poverty than, than America as a whole, partly because uh, you, most Utah children are born in traditional families and have uh, parents to look after them. Um. I want to talk about. Let's take another break, and then I want to uh, to talk about uh, public lands issues. Uh, this is another um, you know area where Utah has kind of um, followed the national trend and then then not. Um, and you you write uh, you've done some reporting on this, and you include this in the book um, the the downwinders the the nuclear testing and how that affected. Yeah. Uh, the nation's uh, view of government and and Utah. Utah is kind of uh, interesting in that respect. Let's treat those uh, two and uh, others uh, other topics here when we come back. So Rod Decker is our guest, and um, the uh, book is Utah Politics: The Elephant in the Room. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are hearing my conversation with longtime political reporter Rod Decker from August, uh, on the occasion of publication of his book, The Elephant in the Room, uh, he is going to, Rod Decker is going to be at Utah State University next week. He'll speak about the evolution of Utah politics regarding religion, sex, and family on November 7th, that's a Thursday, 7 p.m., room 101 of the Merrill Kazir Library on the USU campus. That's November 7th, 7 p.m., room 101 uh, on the USU campus, USU Merrill Kazir Library. Uh, the Friends of the Library are bringing him in, and this is a Friends of the Library lecture. Rod Decker, November 7th, 7 p.m., room 101 on the USU campus of the library there, and the event is free and open to the public. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We reached our last segment with Rod Decker. The book is uh, Utah Politics, The Elephant in the Room. Uh, so uh, before the break, I referenced um, public lands issues, and specifically, uh, well, let's talk about public lands issues, uh, and that's as you write in the book, um, driven by Utah's uh, geography and uh, you know a lot of open space, a lot of it owned by by the federal government, and uh, where a Six, lot of sixty-seven percent of all the land in Utah, maybe it's sixty-six, but it's about two-thirds of all the land in Utah 
is owned by the federal government. It's the second most of any state. And this becomes another uh, and that, theme. And that leads to political uh, arguments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and certainly now, this is another uh, platform, another um, plank in, in this anti-federal government um, trend. Yes. The, the, the Utah, you, rural Utahns are bullied by the federal government. Uh, and the... the the, the, the it, it's partisan most of the most of the time uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans who's ever in power in Utah I mean excuse me in Washington treat Utah about the same Utah gets treated according to the law and they don't they don't pay a lot of attention uh, to Utah but on public land it's it's entirely partisan the uh, uh, Democrats, Side with environmentalists and and preserve public land. Republicans side with Utah's political establishment. It's Republican political establishment. So most dramatically recently, President Obama, as he left office, created a big Bears Ears National Monument. President Trump, uh, Republican as he came in, reduced the size of the Bears Ears Monument and of the, uh, the uh, Grand Staircase Escalante Monument, cut them cut them into pieces. Uh, environmentalists oppose those moves. Most people who lived uh, around those monuments applauded that. Native Americans uh, accepted. Uh, but, but a majority of the people in those counties uh, uh, applauded President Trump's action. We've, we fight over wilderness. We fight uh, uh, over... Um, the national monuments. Uh, President Clinton created the the huge Grand, uh, grand Staircase Escalante um, uh, National Monument, and public lands are a continual source of of trouble. the 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 big The biggest trouble came uh, in the Obama administration, where they reduced uh, the the number of oil leases they they allowed in Utah. Uh, by about five sixths, if I recall correctly, uh, they uh, and so when Obama came in, fewer oil leases were granted, and it it brought economic trouble, big economic trouble to the to the Uinta Basin. Um, it happened in Obama came in in 2009, and the economy was bad, so some people blame the economy. But in most oil fields, things continued. The, the downturn in the economy didn't affect oil. They, the, the federal government stopped leasing, and that led to, uh, in the Uinta Basin, and that led to uh, uh, big economic trouble. People lost businesses and houses and homes. Uh, over time, leasing came back a little, and prosperity returned somewhat. But uh, the, but they caused a, a lot of economic distress in the in the Uinta Basin uh, ten years ago. You write uh, in the book here about the downwinders, about the uh, nuclear testing in uh, in Nevada and the, the the drifting radiation. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, they they tested nuclear weapons in Nevada, and the wind blew the, uh, the, the you, you set off an atom bomb on the ground, and you get a big mushroom cloud that's full of 
uh, tons of dust and debris that sucked up into the big mushroom cloud. Then the winds come along and they blew it over southern Utah. Uh, they caused cancer in southern Utah, but not nearly as much cancer as some accounts say. Uh, if uh, I, I looked at the medical literature and it's oh maybe thirty to fifty that you uh, cases of cancer that you can actually show that science actually shows uh, there there may have been other cases but uh, um, you, you, you have to suppose they, the uh, epidemiology can't show them uh, so that's very bad. Uh, Maybe maybe fewer than thirty, but but a bit, bit probably not more than fifty or so, and that's very bad. But it, but there were stories for years told of hundreds of cases of of deaths of uh, uh, several funerals a week in Cedar City, of uh, lots of kids dying from cancer, of, and those stories are exaggerated. Nonetheless. It was widely told and widely believed in Utah. And Utah had been a defense state. Utah was, for a time in the 1960s, Utah was the state where the largest proportion of its economy was related to defense. Utah got pulled out of the Depression, and and Utah prosperity depended on defense. Utahns were pro-defense. Now they're ambivalent. They, they oppose things like uh, uh, Dugway proving with the proving ground with, and there's a long history of fights we've had over over uh, nuclear waste in the desert, over uh, the bacteriological warfare, over nerve gas, and things like that. Things that we used to accept, we don't accept, or accept grudgingly. And part of the reason for that is the downwinder's tale. Uh, about people getting cancer. And the downwinder's tale is uh, exaggerated. How exaggerated do you think? What uh, You say it's hard to prove. Well, the, the, okay, the, no, people say hundreds and hundreds, thousands of deaths. The literature shows uh, maybe 50 deaths, maybe fewer. That's an exaggeration. People, there are stories of, of fallout falling like snow, Covering the, the the hoods of say pickup trucks, kids would scrawl their initials, and then the paint had come off, except for where they'd scrawled their initials. There was no there's no contemporary record of fallout like snow. Uh, there's no there's no there there was one shot, Dirty Harry, where cars got a, a, a film. Uh, some cars got a, a, a film of. Of radiation on them. Now that could be very serious. The cars were washed, but other than that, there's no there, there's no contemporary record of fallout. There's stories of people who had radiation disease, but there's uh, at least uh, the, I, I follow this um, a, a physicist who uh, lives in Cedar City, I think, a downwinder himself, and. Uh, he, he looked and he says there's not contemporary medical records of fallout disease. So while bad things happened, there were exaggerations of the bad things. Hmm. 
We just have about uh, five or six minutes left. Uh, I want to uh, go back into history, maybe a good way to frame this. I uh, did an interview with uh, Kurt Manwaring. He asked you, um, who are the top five influential political figures in Utah history? Brigham Young topped your list. I don't know. who. Well, Brigham Young's clearly the most influential figure uh, uh, in Utah history. Um uh, but then the, the, the Franklin D. Roosevelt was enormously influential, though he wasn't. Uh, uh, he 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 wasn't a Utah. You, they, I, I guess they you, you want Utah. So I'd say uh, Brigham Young, surely, um, uh, Cal Rampton, um, uh, uh, Reed Smoot. Orrin Hatch surely was uh, extraordinary. Maybe maybe he comes after Brigham Young, um, uh, and uh, uh, maybe Mike Levitt. Hmm. Uh, so you, uh, Orrin Hatch, you would say you'd put him uh, number two or so on on the list. Uh, well, it depends on how you count. He mm-hmm. he didn't influence the course of Utah history so much. He he influenced some because he was a senator in Washington, but. He served so long, and he uh, uh, and he had effects in Utah and in Washington. He uh, he, he served much longer. He was a, a presence. You, you talk about Reed Smoot served five terms. Orrin Hatch served seven, and governors uh, Rampton served three. Uh, that's twelve years. So Rampton was around for twelve years, and Hatch was around for forty-two. Hmm. Uh, Cal Rampton's the only Democrat on the on that list. Who? Uh, Cal Rampton, the only is yes, the only Democrat on the list. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, Brigham Young was a nothing. Uh, I mean, he was he was not partisan. Uh, but then there's Reed Smoot, um, uh, the Mike Levitt, Norrin Hatch, and I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm biased because the maybe had I lived. In, uh, in the 1910s and 20s, I'd have picked some of those politicians, and maybe I'm biased to the ones that happened in my time. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't really thought about who were the, the five most, uh, um, but off the top of my head, those are the five. Yeah. Uh, Reed Smoot's interesting. I think maybe people these days don't know much about him. He was he was a Mormon apostle, right, and, and senator for five terms. He, yes, yeah. he was a he was a uh, an apostle, and he became a senator, and he served for thirty years. He was important in Utah because uh, in the early years of his reign, he had a political machine. It was called the Federal Bunch, and there were. There were political machines in New York City and in Chicago, and his, he had a political machine in Utah, and it was founded on federal patronage. All, almost all, or all, Utah postmasters, the way they really made their living was hustling for the Republican Party. They, 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 they postmaster was a kind of sinecure, or could be, and they they showed up and, and worked for the party, and so did. Uh, so did other federal appointees. You can't do that anymore because the, the federal government made laws against people, uh, um, uh, against their employees being in politics. But it, this was founded on federal patronage, and uh, he, he fired 
Governor John Cutler. John Cutler was governor, but he he uh, wouldn't uh, he, he wouldn't go along with Smoot's patronage, and he opposed uh, he he backed prohibition. So Smoot went and said, "You can't run again. You're out." And Smoot picked uh, William Spry to replace him. So he he had more power in Utah than any senator has had since. There's a uh, just the end here. There's a photograph near the beginning of the book. Lest we think that politics today is is more cutthroat than than back then, a rally in Provo in, in the support of Senator Reed Smoot. One placard reads, uh, "Former Senator Frank Cannon is a Judas." Another message condemns the Women's Christian Temperance Union for its opposition to polygamy, with the words, "Go back to your knitting." And <laughs> it goes on and on. I guess politics has always been rough and tumble. Politics has always been been fairly rough. It's it. It is getting meaner than it's been before in my lifetime. That's true nationally, and it's true locally. But it, it was meanest in in Utah Territory, uh, maybe 1,200 Latter-day Saints, otherwise inoffensive guys, got thrown in prison. They, they uh, seized the church property. They had marshals that, that worked on a bounty system, what a... Uh, Running around Utah looking for polygs, as they called them, and and sometimes they shot people. It was uh, it, it was meanest then. It's it's never been anything like it uh, like that since territorial times. But uh, uh, we're getting uncivil. Reed Smoot, when he when he when the legislature sent him to the Senate, uh, he was accused of being a polygamist, and it, uh, the, the senators investigated for four years, found out he was a monogamist, was not polygamous, polygamous, and allowed him to keep his seat. Mm-hmm. B.H. Roberts was elected to the House of Representatives, but they refused to seat him because he was a polygamist. Mm. Well, a lot of interesting history, and you'll you'll need to read it. We, we can't cover it all in an hour. The book is very interesting, Utah Politics, The Elephant in the Room. Rob Decker, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Fun time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, once again, uh, uh, a note for you. If you'd like to interact with Rod Decker, you have that opportunity if you're going to be in the Logan area. So next Thursday, November 7th, 7 p.m., USU Library Room 101, Rod Decker will be giving a uh, talk, and that event is free and open to the public. That is Thursday, November 7th. Uh, One other note, we are uh, pleased uh, to have Terry Tempest Williams joining me uh, on the program tomorrow. Uh, she's out with a new book. It's called Erosion, Essays of Undoing. We know the elements of erosion, wind, water, and time. They've shaped the spectacular physical landscape of our nation. Here, Terry Tempest Williams explores the many forms of erosion we face, of democracy, science, compassion, and trust. Uh, Terry Tempest Williams' book, Erosion, Essays of Undoing. We'll talk with her tomorrow. Hope you join us. Thanks for listening today.